Welcome to the Self-Made Podcast from LBB. This series celebrates the Indian entrepreneur. Here, we deep dive into the journeys of some of the most extraordinary and inspiring people who have completely wandered off the beaten path and have built unique and successful brands. Today, we have with us Apeksha Jain, an ex-French teacher and a food blogger turned entrepreneur who founded the Gourmet Jar, a brand of premium and innovative condiments that are completely natural and preservative-free. Apeksha is an economics graduate from Lady Shriram College, Delhi, and has no formal training in cooking or making preserves. She is a self-taught confiturier whose passion for cooking is guided by her instinct and a husband that loves food. The inspiration for her business came when Apeksha discovered the world of artisanal preserves and condiments during her one-year stay in Paris. The banana jam was something she first tasted at a small orchard in Burgundy, and it was loved at first bite. Apeksha was also conferred an award for being an exceptional woman of excellence by the Women Economic Forum Delhi in 2007. Let's start. Welcome, Apeksha. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, happy to be here. Let's uh, start with. I think our first question obviously becomes the journey behind starting your own business. How, where did the inspiration come from? Why did you get into this business? And uh, what has been your experience in about like being an entrepreneur? So uh, I am one of those accidental entrepreneurs, and I never planned to get into business, and uh, never really thought about you know how to do how to go about it. So in 2009, I was living in Paris with my husband, and while he was studying there, and on a holiday to a small bed and breakfast in Burgundy, uh, at you know in the morning they served the fresh banana jam, which was completely natural, homemade, and uh, artisanal and preservative tree, and he fell in love with that banana jam. and when we moved back in 2010 to india he used to con- continuously talk about that banana jam and wishing that he could get it over here uh, we used to consume one mama at that point in time and i have always been fond of cooking and uh, love experimenting in the kitchen and at that point i was also writing a food blog blogging was just a new thing and i was into food uh, a bit time so i just thought to myself one day that you know it cannot be so difficult to make a jam since i'm a good cook and after a little bit of googling i I uh, did my first trial and added some rum to it and that's how the banana rum jam came into existence and uh, after trying uh, I, i tried more flavors and my husband loved it and friends and family slowly started asking for more jars and that's when i just saw this opportunity in the market i realized that what i'm making are things which are innovative which are completely artisanal no preservatives no additives and uh, i saw this gap in the market and thought why not put it out there for everyone to enjoy and uh, i just started with a facebook page in 2012 and just got my first initial customers through that okay uh, so since 2012 to 2020 obviously it's been a long journey right and uh, right. or yeah. we can say it's a short journey obviously in the life of an entrepreneur eight years i think just so like that so how has it been scaling the business how has that experience been and what have been some challenges on the way that you have faced right so initially when i started in 2012 it was just a home business and for the first two and a half years it was actually just run by me from my kitchen and uh, slowly as i got opportunities i was approached by a, a certain organic stores some retail stores even a couple of hotels who were interested in buying the products and stocking them and that's when i realized the potential of what i was doing and moved out of my home into a small unit in noida and i set up a, a, a small 1000 square feet production unit and hired a few women to help me out and that was the first uh, first boost and uh, i would say my first uh, experience of running a proper business in a way but of course there were lots of challenges firstly as i had said you know i hadn't planned to do business so i never studied it i never knew what to what to i mean 
the first biggest challenge was how to run a business what is it to do a business really i had no background in it i have not done an mba and uh, no background in hospitality either so uh, i was just you know how the same thing i was making at home how to make it in a larger scale and keep the same quality consistency and even if i wasn't making the product myself then how would my team manage the same as well and then of course just you know understanding numbers i think that was my biggest challenge because uh, to know to run business you have to understand numbers the finance accounts i had i was very clueless about it and you know startup terms like runway run rate burn rate uh, convertible note incubation i mean all of these were alien free money post money. i didn't know the difference between free money valuation post money valuation a cost you know bootstrapping all of this was completely alien and i had to learn all of this literally and uh, even the difference between cash burn and cash i mean and loss you know i didn't really know that there was a difference in that so all of this was something that i learned over the years and uh, in fact i learned i think of all this after raising my seed round of funding because it was during that process that i really had to understand all of this so that was one thing and then finding suppliers because uh, back in 2012 13 uh, jars were you know not the so fashionable as they are now you know now everything is served in jars but at that point it was very difficult to find the right jars the you know the suppliers for it and the lids and i mean all of that just going around the old delhi and finding my uh, finding the uh, items that i need for my production and then of course you know dealing with authorities uh, when the government officers who come i have like no idea what compliances need to be done when you set up a business uh, and then slowly uh, over that over time as different officers from different uh, branches or departments would visit the factory that's when i would realize oh shit i have to do this compliance so i have to do this also and you know this is also needed so i think these were some of the biggest challenges in the beginning and yeah also one more thing like how not to be emotional because initially i used to uh, you know create products which i liked and not necessarily everybody else you know the consumer would like them so i did create some products that uh, you know did not do very well and i was very emotional initially and i had to take a call eventually and you know to stop making those products so uh, how not to be emotional about my, the products that i'm making or if we have to like in in this covid time for example had to do a few day off and things like that so that being an emotional person was very difficult for me to uh, to deal you know rationally with all of these i think that's uh, really inspiring i think uh, given that not all of us have uh, sort of a formal training that is required to start a new business yet all of us at the same time sort of you know dream of starting something on our own so i think from that perspective it's really inspiring to see that uh, without having any formal training without knowing all those terms which are really business like and serious you still managed to sort of yeah. today. that's amazing we talked about you know uh, distributions slightly so uh, let's explore that uh, slightly more further uh, how did that distribution came into because uh, the market obviously is very competitive the retailers obviously have products on their shelf that they have higher incentive to push uh, so how did you manage that battle with the retailers where did you go out and what was your first uh, sort of uh, first say 50 stores where you two guys were available so uh, like obviously initially my supply was direct to consumers because i was selling it uh, you know through facebook and i also in fact had a small store in shahpurjat back in 2014 2015 so we used to sell from there as well and uh, as uh, so the first retailers and all that we we did stock up at were you know organic and niche uh, uh, stores like roots and there was a store called kirana shop and uh, then there was elmas in hoska village who approached us so these are the kind of small stores that i started with and then eventually uh, we moved to the modern bazaar and food hall and uh, la marche and nature's basket of the world these were the first initial so of course it was very challenging that point in time i was only doing jams and preserves 
and uh, retailers did not uh, see it was not a big market and you know they, it wasn't the fast moving market so they did have a lot of hesitation in keeping these products but we had to kind of convince them just because you know uh, we were, we do tell them that you know you have these imported products what we are offering it is it is better quality it's fresher you know it can it's uh, like slightly under under that price point so why not try it out and you keep these if they sell then you you know come back to us and taste an order if it doesn't sell i'll take it back so we did have a lot of these trial and error that we had to do in the beginning okay next obviously is uh, we'll talk a little bit about price point as i was seeing you guys are anywhere between 200 to say uh, 300 400 rupees for tips yeah. and jams uh, so how do you get around to that pricing because from a product perspective obviously it's premium right it looks premium it tastes premium and obviously it's a great product to have uh, so uh, if you can touch base a little bit about pricing and how do you go about that so so yeah like you said you know so our products are premium yet they are affordable so it's not inaccessible uh, and you know for our, our, our positioning is other we are more premium than the mass produced indian brands and then we are slightly cheaper than the imported ones and so like we are not a ferrari but we are not even a maruti we are like in between in a way you know and the reason our pricing is such is because of the quality of ingredients that we put in so for us the uh, you know purity using 100% natural ingredients that is very important and like you know when you taste our products you will taste that particular fruit or vegetable that you're having and it's not like a 2% 3% fruit or vegetable that you're putting in so you you can find the perfect balance of flavors it's it, you know we even grind our own spices and our own salt we we now buy like whole salt and rock salt and we grind it in house so that's how we maintain quality and consistency and because of the sourcing that we do it, it, you know the pricing is slightly higher our cost of production is much higher and everything is at this point also handmade so we have an all women production team and uh we every product is like still made by hand still labeled by hand even after all these years so that adds a lot to the cost and also of course the the differentiator and the quality of the product as well okay cool so uh, i think a uh, two part question here just taking in from that one is about uh, sourcing you know where do you source your products from and uh, what has that challenge been like because obviously that is a challenge in itself yeah yeah so initially of course i would source i mean i would buy my raw materials from the mandi or from the local markets and uh, over the years we have slowly uh, you know uh, reached out to farmers directly and a lot of our produce now comes from farms directly so our our tomatoes for example come from a farm in uttarakhand so we've contracted a farmer there to grow them for us and our uh, malta comes only in season in november and december from uh, from this range near bhimtal where where this malta grows and our strawberries come from habaleshwar so uh, our figs come from nasik so we have basically now uh, tried to get all our omitters from the source and you know where where it good and that also we stick to that area so that we are consistent with our product as well and it has been challenging of course because you know just getting stuff and especially in the summers you know through uh, like in the 45 48 degrees heat from different parts of the country it become very challenging but somehow slowly we have been able to you know uh, increase our quantity to that level that we are able to get them directly to our factory so sourcing is one part of it obviously you have great products but then you obviously have to create great products to take to the market so that means it mm-hmm. has to taste great and everybody has to accept it so what was that battle like and how did you come to a conclusion saying ki hey this is the product that i want to take to the market and this tastes well and it is everything that i can uh, think of in a good product so yeah so initially of course my way of uh, doing it was i would create it at home something that i would eat and my husband would be the first guinea pig and you know we would try it at home and uh, with our friends and just see what what the feedback is but over the years then uh, i did make a few mistakes with certain products which uh, when you put it out there when you're looking at numbers you know when you in the in a larger market some people do not realize like one of those products was an orange mustard i personally loved it 
there were some people who did love it but uh, the numbers did not add up it was not selling in retail as much as uh, whole grain mustard for example because people understand whole grain mustard they know what to do with it how to use it but they did not understand what an orange mustard is until probably they tried it and you know few people did like it so that's one learning that we had that you know we have to see what the consumer wants and then so i reversed my process in a way that i would not think of what i like to make but i would think of what does the consumer want and then uh we would uh, see like for example what we realized so very quickly is that people in india eat more savory than sweet jams are not part of our regular lifestyle and everyday eating habits so we moved moved towards mustard and then we launched our pestos and now our latest launches were pasta sauces so we were hearing from consumers what they want and a lot of people used to ask us for pestos as well when we were doing jams and then uh, when we do r&d when we do trials uh, over the years i've got a good set of regular customers and then of course i a lot of people in the fmb industry right from chefs to you know retailers and so we would send out samples or whatever we make to these people and then get their feedback and then work on it and do tri- do repeated trials until we found something which uh, which was well appreciated and yeah that's how that's how we do the new product development now okay awesome i think one question i think that all the entrepreneurs sort of get is what has been your biggest challenges especially when it comes to the government policies and the regulations in setting up your own warehouses and industry your own production unit what has that challenge been like i think uh, yeah that, this part is especially challenging because i feel like there's no there's no guidebook there's no manual which you can consult you know when you, when it comes to uh, like okay when you're setting up a business what all do you need to do like uh, what all licenses you need to get and all, what all certificates are needed so these are things which you just learn slowly and also how do you get them like i remember when i was when i was setting up my first unit and i had to get an sssa license so it took me 3 months of trying to get it to the right channels and i had to eventually give up and you know figure out different ways of doing it and uh, i think that was uh, that's something which then i feel that like you know the, the government websites are very very uh, user unfriendly i would say and you just completely get lost in it whenever you try to find some information and and that uh, that kind of poses a big challenge when you have to do compliance and uh, you get to know like i said only when you you face with the chalan or some you know some officer coming to your coming to your uh, coming to your factory and um, the i mean i just i just wish that you know somebody would uh, like the maybe the government would make it easier by having like a, a, a you know easy uh, something descriptive on some site where you can understand what all needs to be done like even today if i have to see you know uh a lot of the new products i'm creating which category do they fall under you know how what are the standards it's very hard to find them on the ssi site and uh, yeah so that's i think uh, dealing with all these authorities and different you know rules and regulation that they keep changing and you don't even realize when the rules have changed because and especially i feel a lot of notifications especially in up being in noida everything comes in hindi and it's like hard for hindi not even hindi that we can understand so that i think is very wait because you know we get one of these notices it's it's hard to understand what's written in that you know i wish they could just i mean i'm not saying don't send it in hindi but just send the english copy or easier hindi or regular hindi that you can understand you know so that i think is also very 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 difficult as well yeah that might give somebody an idea to start something like that just to turn it yeah, yeah. i just wish you know there's more transparency i think mm-hmm. i think the indian system is not very transparent and it's not easy to understand what you need to do Uh, unless you talk, and I, I guess that's why you have so many consultants and you know tauts and all of these people who exist because because it's just hard to do it on your own. Completely understandable. All right, so uh, moving on. So I think we have covered a lot of challenges. I think as a next part, it's important to understand what were the factors that turned you into a success. Oh, uh, I think uh, just the fact that we were doing something which was very honest, which was very uh, you know, and it was like you can see in our label, it's a very 
a clean label is transparent you can see the product inside uh, we don't have any e numbers i numbers on our products you know everything is like the ingredients that you're using are something which are there in your home kitchen and that was one thing you know being all natural and yet innovative and packed with flavor you know everything that we make uh, we ensure that it's it's got a lot of uh, it got a balance of flavor and you feel like you're having something delicious that is one thing and then i think our packaging helped as well because of being so modern and and classy and it stands out on the shelf and then i would say that uh, you know just consistently having good quality products you know batch after batch that was one thing and it helped all of this helped me get a lot of free pr in the beginning and word of mouth and i think people would talk to their friends about it and you know uh, that's how that's how it spread so these were some of the things and also we we had we got like uh, you know shelf life a uh, long shelf life and being uh, being able to keep it on the ambient shelves without having preservatives that was i think one one good usp because a lot of products which are on the shelves have preservatives in them or they kept in the chill section so we managed to actually crack that bit that we were making products that were all natural preservative free but at the same time they had a decent shelf life what is your advice for uh, businesses which are run by women i mean i i don't think there is anything different that you have to do as a woman i feel it's just uh, you know i mean you're just doing business whether you're a man or a woman it doesn't really matter it's uh, it's probably the investors who look at it differently but you know as uh, in terms of business you have to do the same thing and i think the only uh, challenge is to assert yourself because a lot of people don't take women seriously and like even in in our factory initially when i was running around my own people like especially the government officers they would walk in and they would be like you know sahab ka hai so and i would tell them that there's no sahab i'm the owner of you know so obviously for them it's difficult to digest the fact that a woman is running a factory and i think it's just that you uh, yeah so being assertive and uh, showing that you know you can do everything uh, even though you're a woman and there's nothing different in 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 that so and being able to do that that's i think the biggest thing another question i think uh, which a lot of entrepreneurs get are what was your investment strategy like you know what was your initial investment like did you guys get uh, you know funding for your and how was that entire process was so yeah so, uh, so honestly you know when i did get funding we were not really looking for funding like uh, you know so like i said it wasn't a planned business it wasn't like i i didn't even know that okay i could raise funding but i happened to take part in this uh, startup expo in gurgaon and uh, one of uh, some angel investors saw me over there and they they felt that the product had a lot of potential and they told us to come up and you know pitch to them and uh, it seemed like an interesting opportunity so i went ahead and i pitched to them and then uh, they were quite interested in it and uh, yeah so we raised the seed round of uh, funding we raised about 50 lakhs uh, back in 2016 and uh, that's how i kind of uh, that was actually that helped me take the business to the next level it helped me like scale up and then my husband also quit his job and joined me after that and Uh, we together have been able to scale up the business and you know make it uh, a much larger uh, larger one from then so that i mean it wasn't intentional but it happened and now of course it's been uh, challenging for the past so we were in the process of raising our next round of funding but then covid happened and now you know a lot of things are on hold so but uh, it has been it's not been easy for sure because a lot of people don't understand the space that we are in because uh, investors and vc are looking for something which is mass and which is scalable you know to like 1000 crore or so uh, the point is that you know for us because it's a niche uh, area because we're making premium and gourmet products and even though they are affordable and they're not like inaccessible the market is there but it's not like a mass market so a lot it, it is definitely challenging we need to find somebody who's passionate about uh, gourmet and about food and who understands the space so that uh, that does prove to be a little bit of a challenge
Okay, since we were talking about COVID, I think it's important to address that elephant in the room. Yeah. I guess. Uh, so yeah. before we started this conversation, you were telling me that uh, during this COVID, uh, this time you basically had a lot of issues working out uh, in Noida. So what yeah. has that challenge been like, and what is your strategy post COVID world? Where do you see this is going? So of course, the the first I think forty five days. Uh, after the lockdown were uh, were really challenging i mean we were we were literally shut for that much even though we were uh, producing food and it's part of essential goods and exempted but uh, people like the uh, you know cops would understand in noida you need to have permission to operate and all of those things so and even though uh, we tried to you know supply through the stock that we already had existing but supply chains were completely broken so it was a very very difficult one like e-commerce pickups were not happening and we could not supply uh, to you know city like bombay bangalore so that was completely you know we lost a lot of faith over there we were just doing a little bit of supply in delhi and stuff and delhi also was extremely challenging because being in noida and without the border sealing and all so we could not send our own runners and we had to use like courier services and and runner services so that was uh, and we could not produce as well so there were multiple challenges happening at that point and of course 40% of our business until March used to come from the hotels and and restaurant segment which completely has gone for a toss so now even payments are not coming so getting getting payments keeping the cash flow going i think is our biggest challenge at this point in time and uh, what we did uh, luckily is that uh, so before until february we had some savory products which were like you know the pesto and the olive tetanad and uh, and some holgan mustard but so we do a lot of research on a regular basis and try to you know look at new products so we had uh, and we when we do our trials and once we are you know happy with them we kind of archive them uh, for later use and i think around uh, early march when we felt that you know uh, there is some uh, lockdown is coming and coronavirus is going to get serious so we just thought of launching our pasta sauce so we had these in our archive and we were waiting for our funding to come through and we were thinking of doing a big bang launch you know for our uh, for our pasta sauces but then early march we just took a decision that uh, it does not make sense to keep waiting and i think we should just uh, do whatever we can and launch these right now so in fact our labels got delivered to us like two days before the lockdown happened so it was just good timing and uh, we launched these just like you know during the lockdown and i mean the response has been phenomenal we have just been selling them on our site and a few of stores in delhi and people are loving it and uh, you know they uh, cooking at home is a new trend and i think our our pasta sauces have made it much easier uh, and simpler for them to cook at home and you know it's a, it's a quick meal and at the same time they know that they're eating something which is healthy it's free of preservatives it's not like uh, got that off taste like packaged food and uh, yeah so that's what that's what we did and it's been uh, it's been a raging success till now i would say and we are really looking forward to grow the savory savory range with these with these categories now so and of course you know being in noida the border issues and all proved i mean even today now also the borders are still sealed and it's, it's challenging to get a supply to delhi every every day right now so and uh, because the consumer habits are changing and you know we people are cooking at home so we see a good opportunity now and uh, we are seeing a very good response towards our savory segment as well so our plan now post covid is of course direct to consumer like everybody that's the only way like you know, to reach the consumer now so we are focusing much more on our online channels of course social media instagram ads google ads all of that and also partnering with other like minded brands and you know selling on their platforms as well and then uh, amazon of course as well that so our challenge our, our strategy going forward is to do more online and increase our savory portfolio so that you know these products can fit into the daily lifestyle of our consumers because even though they may have a jam like it may take a few months to consume it but a pasta sauce or a pesto can be consumed in a, in a few days so i think that's that's our strategy now going forward
Uh, hopefully, LBB will also be part of your uh, strategy going forward. <laughs> yes, it is. We have been. It's been, I think, a few weeks. We've been selling on LBB, yeah. and we've we've had a great response. Yeah. Okay. How did you figure out the shelf life stability of the product? Because talking about without the preservatives, uh, we are able to sort of we have a longer shelf life for the products. How did you manage to uh, stabilize that? So, so basically, uh, what what we did is like sugar is a natural preservative. Like when I started out, I was making jam, so you don't need uh, chemicals and preservatives in a jam, you know, in a way to preserve it. So, what the only thing that we do is we we we, we our jars are vacuum sealed so that when until you open them, they can be on the shelf. And after opening, is only when you need to refrigerate it. And uh, initially, obviously, I understood that you know sugar, salt, spices, oil, vinegar, all of these are natural preservatives, and that's how. Traditionally, things were preserved. Right? That's how jams came into existence. That's how pickles came into existence because people were trying to preserve the produce, which is seasonal, and and all of these are natural preservatives. That's what we are using. And uh, now, going like in the past few years, as my team grew, I have hired you know people from a food technology background who have experience, who understand the science of food and the chemical, the chemical uh, you know chemistry of of food. And through their knowledge and their understanding, they have helped me develop the savory range. uh you know without any preservatives and additives and no sugar either and uh, the main thing is uh, that our our packing technology enables us to create and you know the the bottle has its own environment inside it's sealed it's got a vacuum seal and we kill all the microbes and bacteria which is inside the in, in the product and that's how we we get a long shelf life after you took your business pan india how long did it take you to become profitable and uh, there is a second part to it how did you maintain quality standards and delivery time which i think is really important from a, a people who are actually you know sending out products right right so on the first part so we were profitable in the middle for a little bit and now when we were uh, when we they have been scaling up we are not profitable currently so that is one so there's no yeah i mean there's no straight path as such and the uh, second part is a quality i mean i'm there I, i have a good team you know that i can rely on and we have set certain parameters like finish parameters for example you know if there's a sugar level so we have a ph level we have some instruments to check those finish parameters and we ensure that we we reach those you know those uh, those parameters at the end of the cooking process and that's how we maintain it and even today every batch is tasted either by me or my production manager who's there if i'm not if i'm not in the factory so one of us tastes and gives the go ahead and then we then we bottle the product so that's how we are able to ensure that you know we have a good quality and consistency of product and uh, delivery unfortunately there is not a lot that we can do uh, you know on our end because once we give it to the courier uh, you know courier partner it's up to them really like even in this last two months it's been very challenging to get packages out and you know make them reach on time some packages reach in a day or two some take forever some get lost but uh, luckily those are very very few but uh, we just ensure that you know we keep the customer uh, like we keep communicating with the customer keep them informed about what is happening and uh, we ensure that if there is any complaints or any issues we take it up with the delivery partner and we you know get it sorted yeah. okay uh, i think uh, uh, we're talking about covid uh, and the challenges i think one question becomes what is your expectation from the government i mean uh, should they step in and if they step in in what capacity and how are you looking from a policy framework perspective what should be their steps to uh, help uh, out entrepreneurs like yourself yeah i think the government definitely has to step in you know that's the only way we can kind of keep uh, small businesses alive because uh, there's a lot uh, that uh, you know everybody is suffering on whether it's cash flow whether it is payments and i think uh, they have taken some steps in terms of okay the you know deferment of emis and moratorium and all but i feel deferment is not really an answer you're just delaying our, our payments but they should probably like forego them you know to and at least not charge interest because 
even if you're deferring the EMI, you're still charging interest on it, which is payable later. So that should definitely be one thing that I should look at. And I think also uh, support in terms of salaries, you know, payments of wages and salaries. There should be some support that should come from the government because there, there has to be an actual cash infusion into the system of the MSMEs instead of, you know, just loans because right now, okay, they're they are delaying, you know, EMIs and charging interest on it and, you know, you're offering loans, but it's all just going to increase the debt of these small MSMEs. It's not going to help in terms of, you know, creating, like generating cash as such. So I think that is one thing that needs to be uh, looked at, and especially payments. I think larger organizations, they should be, it should be mandatory for them to pay MSMEs in 45 days because, uh, nobody respects that. Maybe it's there on paper, but you know, enforcing that, uh, ensuring that it's done, enforcing it, and uh, big corporations being made to pay, or you know, with the, on time, that is something very important for cash flow because that's the biggest struggle I think that every uh, small business has. And uh, yeah, and the last thing is of course expectation and a clean website, making it user friendly, you know, easy access to information. I think that's very important. Okay, uh, so as I said, uh, more questions coming from people. I think I'm just going to take uh, one more, uh, which is uh, what are some of the interesting ways you marketed the Gomejar and where did you market it uh, to take the word out? I mean, we know about uh, that you started with Facebook, but that's one channel. Where else did you market and how did it perform and what was the best marketing channel for you that actually worked out in your favor? So I think initially we did a lot of, uh, you know, these markets like farmers markets. And I remember there was this, uh, the first farmers market called Nukkar Mandi that happened. And so we used to be a lot uh, out there in events, you know, whether it was even we've done a lot of LBV events as well in the building. You know? So I think these events where you have direct access to the customer, they helped us a lot. And uh, things like Palette, Zafes, they helped us, you know, create uh, create the brand with the consumer where they could taste. And especially because our products are something which, People need to try, you know, to understand why they're paying a premium for it. So, so direct, so events where we could reach out to consumers that helped significantly. And of course, my store in Shapujar, I think that was a good, uh, good platform as well, where I could get uh, visibility and where people could actually come and experience the product. Okay. Uh, circling back to, I think initially we were talking about, uh, you know, you sort of learning all these. Uh, things about policies and what was right to do and what not you sort of learned on the job did you hire an outside consultant from the very get-go and was it like sort of helpful because again that is also an investment especially in the initial part of the business when you really do not have that much capital so did you all sort it out yourself or did you hire an outside consultant or a lawyer to help you sort through that entire thing no, so I've not really, I never hired any consultant, nor did I, I mean, even till date, we've not really had a consultant come and look at it. But of course, just by talking to people and, you know, learning over time, we've, we've understood what, what is right and what is wrong. Uh, my only suggestion would be like, I think the mistake, one mistake that I feel I made is I didn't have an accountant in the beginning. And that was kind of, I think that's the first thing any business should do is get an accountant because uh, otherwise a few years later, you're just lost in paperwork and, you know, figuring out the books and all of that. So I think that is more important than having any consultant just so you have your books in order. Another question I think we got is what would you advise on pricing for such products? How do you decide uh, that for the ideal product market fit? So I understand that, uh, you know, uh, we look at uh, pricing, uh, which is a really important part of the entire business, right? Uh, but uh, after having multiple conversations with uh, other entrepreneurs also over the past some time, uh, we realized that uh, maybe sometimes pricing happens as by the way or something that is secondary that you just land on pricing and it becomes like sort of a luck in that sense did you also figure yeah. out pricing from the get-go saying you know this is what i want to market it as or did you say you know this is what it's going to work and that's how the pricing came into effect 
No, so I tell you, I did have a revision. So when I started, when I was doing it from home, my uh, my first uh, process was that I just figured out what my costing is, like to make the product, and then I put a m- markup on that cost, and that's how I was, you know, reached the selling price. But uh, that was, uh, I would say, now in hindsight, that it wasn't the right approach. And uh, over the years, what I what what I did learn is, especially when I got out into retail, that you know you have to be competitive and you have to see what price point the other other products that are competing with you are at. So. There are two things I would say to find the right fit. You know, one is you have to look at competition and what is the current market rate in a way for the average market rate for that category and that product as such. And then the second thing is, of course, your cost. You know, at the end of the day, because everybody's cost structure is different, so uh, you have to have a, a decent margin over and above your cost. So when you like combining both these things is when you can find the right right price. It cannot be very far away from the market price because that then you know takes you into a very niche space. So you have to be somewhere in that in that in that zone yeah okay uh all right so uh let's move on to next uh sort of set of questions uh so where do you want to take gourmet jar uh like uh which geography do you want to go international like what is going to be the next step given that after covid we all come back to how normal <laughs> we were before everything went to shit you know so what is your strategy for that have you ever thought about it taking international yeah so so i want uh, for me uh, the vision is to you know have the gourmet jar uh, become one of the leading condiment brands in the world and i feel that i want to showcase an indian brand as gourmet because i feel that you know india has always been known as a, a country that exports uh, cheap and mass produced products you know so we are known for spices and i mean of course we have some good quality stuff but mostly what is available outside is is cheap and low quality which is you know marked up in center center abroad and we are known for you know rice and pickles and spices but we are never known for gourmet when it comes to gourmet food it's always france or italy you know some of the european so we so i feel that you know we also have a lot to offer when it comes to gourmet food and i want to uh, make the gourmet jar one of the brands which is known internationally for and you know representing india as a as a nation where we can create some gourmet products as well that's that's my vision in the long run yeah i think uh, eight years uh in the business uh i think uh, what we have also realized that is uh, getting the right hires uh, actually makes a lot yeah. of difference so what have your key hires have been like and uh, you know how they have played a role in making sure that gourmet jar gets to where it is today how important is hiring it is it is very important because ultimately you know you can only do so much on your own and you need to have a good team you know behind you and if we reach this level today it is because of the team that i have as well and i think uh, my first key hire was my husband i would say that when he joined it could really scale up to the next level and then of course having my production manager because he uh, i mean of course i cannot be there all the time and to ensure the consistency quality of the product i think having a production manager who who understand the technical aspects of the business because uh, of the production sorry because i am a, you know I, i don't have any background in that so i don't understand the science of food as such even though i've learned over the years but he he understands more than me so having somebody who can complement your your skills and knowledge that helps and uh, then i would say like even i mean they're not key hire but I, my my the women you know that make the products for me i've had some of them with me for like more than 5 years now they were the first few people that i hired when i set up my unit and i think they are kind of the backbone of the of the brand because you know even if i am not there even if my production manager is not there they are the ones who are actually standing on the floor and making these products day in and day out and they know what to do even if you know i'm not there so i think without if they don't make it well then it will not uh, you know it will not taste that good so i feel that these people are very important as well 
All right. I was going through and I was uh, reading a lot about Gomejar wherever it's been published. And I think there is a really good story that comes out. You know, so uh, I was uh, listening to some really interesting podcasts, and somebody said that storytelling will never go out of fashion. Like no matter where yeah. you are, it will all they will always have a story to fall fall back to. So uh, the right. question becomes uh, that story that you have uh, in terms of content. How important? What? How important or what role does that play into marketing? And how does that help you take Gourmijar to the next level? Has that been an important aspect from a marketing perspective? The storytelling and where the product came from and uh, the kind of uh, you have employed women to do this and it's no preservatives and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, uh, marketing is about storytelling, you know, so you have to communicate the story, how the brand began and what you, you know, so we have been doing that and that has definitely helped. And I think the most important thing is it helps create an emotional connect with the consumer. And, you know, you're not just a mass produced or a, you know, factory produced brand and without a soul. So storytelling helps bring bring a soul to the brand and, uh, you know, put a face to it. And there's some emotional connection when people buy the gourmet jars. They, they feel they're buying, you know, they're helping somebody, they're supporting the women who are making it or they're, and it's, it's like made by a person, not like produced in a factory. You know, that's, I think that's, that changes when you have good storytelling and you build an emotional connection with the brand. So that is definitely part of our marketing. All right. So I think uh, we have a uh, final five minutes. Uh, we have uh, uh, now two, three more questions to go. Uh, I think one question would be what other businesses inspire you? Uh, I think, uh, I, I mean, firstly, because I love coffee, so <laughs> the coffee businesses inspire me for sure. And I think, uh, like, uh, Epigamia, for example, is one brand which, uh, you know, their story is also very, very inspiring. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, some of the, and I love Blue Tokai, the, the story of Blue Tokai as well. How do you find this team of women uh, who work in your kitchen and who you can trust with their product? How do you deal with employee turnover in a business where recipes are confidential? So, yeah, this is very interesting. It's obviously very challenging as well. So, uh, like I tell you, the way I started is that uh, when I set up, I hired a few women. Uh, and uh, if you look at uh, the Noida industrial area, as such, it's, it's mostly men who are working. And uh, women, uh, they don't, I mean, the, they don't like working in these kind of factories that are there over here. And when I started, so I hired a, a few women and they had not worked anywhere else before in any other factory. And uh, I think it's just the environment that I create and, you know, it's it's more of a family environment and it's not like, you know, they're not, it's not a factory environment at all. And after that, I got most of my, uh, my staff, my workers all through word of mouth. So, you know, they would tell their neighbors or their friends who are looking for jobs that I'm working here. And that's how I got my second person and third person and then fourth. And, and most of them that come, they never leave really. If they leave, it's for reasons like, you know, that they, they have to go back to the village or something else. But they don't want to leave the place and we get everybody by word of mouth and they just enjoy being part of this, uh, the culture that we have and part of the team. Like we celebrate birthdays, you know, we don't make them feel like they're just a labor that is working in a factory. So we give them uh, a home environment. We take care of them well. And, and I think that helps a lot in terms of, then you don't have to be worried about, you know, them leaving and you know taking your recipe somewhere because if you treat them well, then they are loyal. And especially for these people, I think, just being treated well is very important. So if you if you treat them well, they'll be loyal to you and they will they'll they'll work as if you know it's it's their home in a way. So I think that is something that we have done and I'm proud of. And I know that uh, the women that I am that are producing these products every day, I can trust them uh, with my eyes closed and they will not like you know uh, betray me in that sense. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, business with conscience is the way to go, definitely. And I think people also find themselves invested in the company as much as 
owners do and i think that really helps all right so yeah. uh, i think uh, we are at the end of this entire session i think uh, there is a customary question that uh, definitely we ask everybody uh, so that question would be what is it that you are reading listening and watching these days uh, alternatively you can also answer what has inspired you great books that you can recommend great authors great podcasts whatever so i mean currently i'm reading a book called ikigai which is uh, the japanese secret for a happy and long life and uh, otherwise apart from that books that i i really enjoyed reading the past few months are uh, you know shoe dog uh, which is about nike and then i've uh, read the jesse rose book the everything store and uh, uh, one book also is called uh, grinding it out by the ray clock this is a donald so if some of these books are very inspiring and uh, listening to i've been on a pratik kohart free for the last few months so i've been listening to that and uh, the last thing uh, i think i watch shark tank very regularly so that's something which is like part of my daily routine in a way and uh, that's what i've been watching and i think sorry so uh, okay so i'm yeah. sorry just to cut you there so you have been watching yeah. shark tank and i think this is really interesting how close is shark tank to what you actually face when you actually go into an uh, you know when you're raising funding for your business how how is that realistic at all i mean it's kind of realistic of course it's a more exaggerated uh, you know version of it because of the setup and the way it is but it's uh, it is similar yes you have you know 5 6 10 people sitting in, in on a on a big conference table and then you know you're standing up there and pitching to them so it is it is very close i would say yeah very intimidating then i assume huh? it is very intimidating yeah apiksha thank you so much for joining in and uh, thank you so much thank for talking you, to us thank you thanks for having me Thank, Thank you so you. much.